everyone, welcome to the latest Rosenfeld Review podcast. I'm really glad to have our guest today, Alona Iguina. Uh, Alona is uh, the senior uh, lead of systems research at Shopify. She's also going to be speaking at this November's Design Ops Summit. And um, uh, she's um, going to be speaking on design systems at scale. Now, that's kind of a very straightforward title for her talk. But um, beneath the surface, there's some pretty interesting stuff. Uh, let me back up a bit and just say that uh, Alona has a background that's really fascinating, industrial design and biology. Did I have that right? That's correct, yep. And how those things play together uh, with research operations and design operations is really what she's going to be talking about at the summit. And uh, um, we were chatting a little while before uh, we, we started the, uh, the formal interview about, um, about that, uh, um, you know, how systems, uh, biological systems are this really important and interesting framing for how we go about design and even how we operationalize design. And where do we begin? Well, I think um, it's only fair to begin uh, where, how, in terms of how humans operate, because uh, really when we design uh, systems and that involve humans, then we need to be able to understand how humans think, how they behave, and how that behavior translates into their decisions. So I think in regards to um, how biological systems trans translate into how we organize our teams, uh, we need to kind of go back to how our brains operate, and specifically our neural networks, uh, and how those types of um, uh, processes translate into uh, action and translate into our decisions. So uh, what's kind of interesting is that um, in the way how, how our brains operate is they kind of have these two different streams um, of two different types of inputs. One uh, is uh, rooted in sensory inputs. So those are all the things that you're thinking about when it comes to uh, understanding uh, visual cues, or understand, hearing auditory cues, um, and all of those things that our sensors uh, allow us to, to kind of map the world around us. And then the other stream, uh, actually a very different one, is more of a contextual stream. So those are all the things uh, that, that, allow us to, that allow our brains to understand how those different types of inputs mapped to each other and how, how they relate to each other. So that's kind of similarly to that. Um, it's very important to, uh, when it comes to organizational design, it's very important to consider these two types of inputs. Uh, the kind of the what stream, what I call, and the, uh, the why and the where stream, the contextual stream. Because we often, you know, when we make decisions as an organization, uh, we sometimes kind of put a little bit too much emphasis on the quantitative data, kind of that what stream, or sometimes we make our decisions too intuitively. So that's the part where we, um, you know, we, we use a couple of case studies to make uh, large scale decisions. And that's, that can be a little bit scary as well and very kind of high risk type of decision. So if you implement those two types of streams, then you're able to, uh, to make kind of really well-informed and rounded decisions because you're not only getting all of the different data points around you, but you're also, being, you're also able to connect them together and say how they relate to each other and translate those into opportunities. 
So when it comes to designing the research teams, I think it's really important to have uh, those two very diverse different skill sets um, on the team. Uh, so that includes data scientists um, and cognitive, sci cognitive psychologists, as well as UX researchers and anthropologists um, and social scientists. And what that allows you to do and when, the, when these two kind of um, uh, types of researchers work together is you get really well-rounded insights. Um, and as well as you're able, as well as you're able to kind of translate them into business objectives, and uh, help with the decision making of the entire organization. So I love that well-roundedness. It's something that I've certainly been very interested in for a while now. And uh, you know, I always trot out the the fable of the blind man and the elephant. And it sounds mm -hmm. like you're trying to get some of those blind men uh, together, and, and that's great. Um, I wanted to back up for a moment and, and ask you as a complete biology neophyte, uh, because I, I was just afraid to dissect anything in, in high school and middle school, <laughs> never had a formal class in biology. That said, um, you know, I know that people's understanding or beliefs about how the brain works probably varies in some conflicting ways uh, from discipline to discipline. I imagine uh, a biologist might see um, the way the brain works, as you just described, maybe differently than a, a psychologist. They both might see it very differently than a cleric. Um, is there a lot of, uh, is there sort of a, a standard perspective on how the brain works within the discipline of biology? Or are there competing schools there? And did you choose one that just was right for some particular reason? Hmm, that's interesting. I, well, I'd say that, I mean, I, I take a very kind of, um, I mean, I take a scientific approach to that. Uh, so the, the way I usually describe this is um, there is different types of structures in our brain and uh, these different types of uh, kind of structures and neural connections and neural clusters, they specialize in different things. So for example, you know, kind of backtracking to that idea of kind of the what stream and the where stream, um, you know, different types of data coming in. Uh, all of those, they go into, into hippocampus, which is kind of a, that's, that's a part of our brain. But that structure is, is divided into two separate structures. And depending on the type of information, uh, the two types of structures in the hippocampus are able to um, kind of process the two different types of data. So it's really kind of just looking at the brain, studying it, understanding um, what are the different structures, what are the different neural connections, how can we interpret that into the output, which is, you know, um, how, how people behave, how they make, how they make decisions, um, and sort of uh, uh, how one contributes to that decision making. So a good example is, like for example, if you uh, only take the what stream, but you don't connect it with the contextual data, then often happens is um, you are, you're able to, you're able to uh, name a certain thing, but you can't, you, you might be able to name it in the wrong context. So for example, let's say if you're, um, if you're sitting at a conference, and uh, uh, somebody asks you uh, what you're having, uh, and, and you're, let's say you're sitting at a conference and you're thinking about what you're going to get for dinner, but then mm -hmm. somebody next to you asks you uh, what type, where should the after party be for the conference or where is the after party, you're going to say carrots. You know, so because because what's happening there is that uh, you you were able to pull up the object, but you didn't recognize the context. 
Um, so that's sort of like the, this, this idea of sort of studying these different types of structures in the brain to be able to figure out um, uh, what are those different functions and why are they so important for making decisions. Do we understand that very well? And I, I'm, I'm asking partly because when I studied artificial intelligence uh, a little bit, gosh, talking about 30, 25, 30 years ago, uh, back in college, um, you know, we, we were taught that context switching is really, really hard. It's hard for humans. Yep. It's really, really hard for um, our, uh, artificial forms of intelligence. Um, is, I wonder if that's still the hardest thing. Uh, when you study well, it, are you finding that there's enough known that you can actually start making a, 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 an equivalent switching function in your research organization? Well, I think the, the problems are actually slightly different because you're right. Like, we, you know, we as humans, we, it's very hard for us to switch context. And it's actually a very high cognitive load to be able to come back to, to a certain task once you've switched your attention to something else. Uh, but I think artificial intelligence has a, has a very different problem. With artificial intelligence, we don't even really understand the context yet. So that's kind of like where um, I think we first need to, you know, we, we have to think about artificial intelligence as, as um as we've solved a lot of the problems, we've actually mapped artificial intelligence to the functions of the brain. And now it's just a matter of tweaking it. Uh, and what's actually even scarier is that we are, without solving that problem of context for artificial intelligence, we're trying to apply it to, uh, on higher level systems. So we're trying to apply it uh, on you know, social networks and, um, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, making decisions uh, in regards to uh, you know, particular business problems. Whereas really the thing that we need to address in artificial intelligence is uh, getting really good at that, at that object-oriented stream and the context-oriented stream and getting them to at least work together consistently. And then, of course, you start kind of adding more and more contexts um, and then you can sort of start thinking about, well, how does it switch context and depending on uh, what context, uh, which object is being surfaced. Right. I mean, I don't know how good we are at, uh, yet at, at domain modeling. And it seems like uh, if you can't model the domains, it's hard to switch between them. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the, like this sort of switching capability in your organization, um, where you, you have the what, uh, I think you said the, the, the what uh, people working side by side with the where and why, Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you actually make uh, a situation programmatically or operationally uh, in, in a team or an organization so that that happens, that they actually have communication or, or some other conditions that lead to synthesis among the various inputs that they, they respectively bring? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I find that when you start... Um, when you start focusing people's attention on techniques or on methods, that's when things fall apart. Because, uh, you know, that's when uh, folks who are more comfortable with quantitative research methods, they fall back into that domain. Folks mm -hmm. who are interested in the qualitative research methods, they kind of stick to their domain. But, it's, but the way to unite them is really through a common problem. So what problem are we solving? What's... what's um, what question are we answering? What business objective are we addressing? And as soon as you kind of uh, create that higher, 
higher goal for 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 everyone, then uh, the collaboration actually become that's that becomes the easy part because the um, you know a data scientist is able to bring their skill sets to the table, UX researcher and anthropologist are able to bring their their skill sets to the table, and then it's really just figuring out uh, what types of methods are best to solve which part of question. And then by the time uh, everybody kind of finishes with with get, gathering the data, uh, the analysis and synthesis part, those are the fun kind of uh, activities on our team. Like we get together in a pod, um, we have a lot of post-it notes, we have a lot of kind of donuts and like discussions. <laughs> uh, and we find that actually the analysis and synthesis, um, when, when, done separately by different team members, uh, it actually takes much longer versus when you get a data scientist and an anthropologist in one room and they have, they, they're working on the same problem and they're passionate about the same, about answering the same question. Uh, the synthesis, uh, just gets so much, uh, so much quicker. And I think, um, the way to kind of bring that business objective to the table is to engage with stakeholders from, from the, from the first day, um, is to get the team uh, really excited about the business problem uh, and get the, the product manager or product director uh, be involved in the research process from the very beginning to kind of keep the research on track and, and sort of defocus the attention from the methods and techniques, which is what researchers are usually very excited about, um, into kind of the domain of what, what is the problem that we're solving? Uh, how are we making this better? You know, you're at Shopify. It's a, a young organization. It's grown up in the, certainly in the digital era. And, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like a very healthy take. It doesn't, there's not, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of baked in politics or disciplinary chauvinism that might get in the way of that conversation, of, of that synthesis. A lot of people are not in that setting. And so, you know, a lot of people are struggling to get uh, decision makers to um, not only uh, bless, but actually make these kinds of interdisciplinary conversations happen. Uh, in some settings, uh, uh, a lot of people are, are really relying on a, a shared repository to, to bring a lot of these types of evidence together in order to um, create a a, a setting where that conversation and synthesis might happen a bit more naturally because we bump into each other's evidence all the time. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's, you know, a good example is what uh, Tomer Sharon and Michelle Merritt and, and their team, uh, when Tomer was at WeWork, what they were doing there. Do you have any advice and, and can a biological systems view uh, help us uh, in situations that are a little more challenging and, and, uh, I don't know, fuddy-duddy than what you're doing at Shopify? That's a tough question. Yes, that's a tough question because it means that I kind of need to step outside of the system that I'm working in uh, and apply that that same method, that same approach to, to a more structured uh, um, environment. Uh, that, yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, what, what I, like, kind of like my first, uh, my first gut reaction is, are we able to kind of disassemble this? So what, what, is the, uh, what is the default state? What's the state that we're operating in? And as I understand, it's the, uh, what's, like, what, which ingredient is missing? Is it the, um, uh, the quantitative side of data? Is it the qualitative side of data? Or is it both are present? They're just not working together due to kind of what you mentioned, that disciplinary um, tension. 
Like which, which part is that? I think it really depends, right? Um, it depends on the, the kind of uh, culture and, and baked in way of doing things that an organization has. I mean, it may already be a very data-driven culture and, and the quant side of things might, might be very strong. I think in terms of, let's say, uh, organizations in financial services, which may be very new to uh, more qualitative approaches and um, maybe even uncomfortable with some qualitative approaches uh, or they're, they, they're just starting. And, and so there's a inherent imbalance. And so uh, between the qual and the quant, mm -hmm. and it makes it so you can't even really get a balanced conversation happening because this, the ratio of people are fairly uneven to begin with. So, yeah. you know, I understand. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, that's interesting actually, because I, I actually would say that uh, I went through that at, at Shopify because when we first, uh, I, I come from UX research, that's how I started at Shopify and, um, and that's the, that's the team that's, um, uh, that I was operating in. And then at the same time, we had a data science team, which was separate. It was in a different organization. It was in data organization. And UX research was operating in the UX organization. So the, um, uh, the challenge there is to kind of uh, bridge the gap between data and, and UX research. The problem is that, you know, nobody said that as a mandate because in and of itself, it's, it's a bit of a useless task. You know, why do we need to bridge UX and, and data? So that's kind of, again, going back to what are the things, what are the insights that we are able to generate mm -hmm. as a result of that collaboration? So my, I want to call it insight ops. Yes, yes, absolutely. I agree with you because I think it's really like, again, it kind of goes back to that idea of like, it's not about the methods, it's not about the techniques, it's about the types of, of insights and the types of kind of answers that you're able to, to offer. So what I found, you know, from my experience, you know, speaking with business stakeholders, they would rarely, you know, come to me and say, um, oh, we would really like for you to conduct UX research, you know, or we would really like for you to, um, to look at it from data science perspective. Uh, the types of questions that they would come to me with are a lot more business oriented. You know, it's, it's uh, can we understand this type of uh, business or can we understand why a certain thing is happening on our platform? Um, and it's up to us researchers um, and I think also designers actually to be able to translate these business objectives into research questions and then from then kind of go into different types of methodologies. So I think the way to... Um, the way to kind of bridge the, the gap or be able to uh, augment one type of method with other types of methods is to actually counterintuitively de-emphasize that part <laughs> and, you know, engage with business stakeholders uh, on the level of, of, uh, of um, insights and objectives and the things that they're looking to find. Uh, because when you present those insights to them, uh, they rarely ask, you know, how you found that. They, they get just so excited with, with the fact that they're now unblocked and able to move forward with their, um, with their decisions or their products uh, that uh, they rarely care about the methodology behind that all. And, you know, it's interesting. It's like um, they don't realize the kind of machine in terms of generating evidence and insight that they have inside their organizations. They may see the bills. Some, from time to time and wonder, but ultimately I think they don't really know. And it's like, you're going to them and saying, and, you know, saying here's the keys to this really great sports car. Don't worry about what's under the hood. Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty amazing what's under the hood, but don't worry about it. Just, just drive this thing. And, and I think 
that's a really smart way to go about it. So, oh, here we've just moved, by the way, from biology to uh, automotive. Uh, uh, <laughs> anyway. Which is automotive is also one of my passions, so I'm, I'm all for oh, it. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> well, I wish we had more time because we could, we could certainly go down an interesting <laughs> road there, so to speak. But um, uh, it, it's been really great talking with you. Um, uh, I want to mention uh, one more time uh, for all you science nerds out there, uh, Alona, uh, Alona is, is someone who uh, has a really interesting background in industrial design and biology and is really putting them together in pretty cool ways, as you can tell. If you want to know more about what she's up to, uh, the best place to learn is by reading some of her Medium postings her uh, Twitter address, uh, which is what you'll need to pull her up in, in Medium, is um, at biology to design, biology to design. So medium.com slash at sign biology to design. And she's going to be speaking at the um, Design Up Summit. By the time this podcast comes out, it's probable that the summit's going to be sold out. Um, but that said, if you are interested in learning more about design ops and research ops, I've been facilitating a, a free monthly uh, community video conference call. Uh, and we have really smart people facilitating and sharing their ideas there. I just pull it, put them together. And I think we're getting about 80 people per call and a lot of energy. Again, it's free. If this is something you'd like to participate in, uh, send an email to info at rosenfeldmedia.com. Tell us which, uh, tell us that you're interested in joining the uh, design ops uh, video conference. And if you don't mind, tell us how you heard about it. In other words, this particular podcast. Um, Alana, I'd like to ask you um, one last thing. Uh, and uh, that is um, who's doing something cool that you want to call out? I would definitely uh, like to call out Cornelius. Uh, he's one of the organizers of uh, Canucks conference. It's a Canada-wide conference that's world-class on the subject of U and everything UX. And I think Cornelius is doing uh, really great work in regards to UX as, as it relates to ecosystems. Cornelius, uh, and I think uh, I'm going to pronounce his last name, uh, uh, okay, Richelieu? Richelieu, uh, yes, sir. Richelieu, okay. Um, um. Cornelius, Cornelius, uh, yes, um, does a fantastic conference with his uh, his colleagues. Canucks is, is wonderful. Canada's just got great UX conferences between uh, Canucks and Flexible. It's just not fair. Um, Cornelius, if you want to find him, probably the best way is uh, Twitter at C O R N E L I U X Cornelius. Uh, so uh, maybe I'll, I'll have to get Cornelius on our uh, our next podcast. In the meantime, Alona, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to hear your ideas. They're fascinating, and I'm looking forward to hearing more of them at the Design Up Summit in November. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. <laughs>